No, but I, I definitely um, I wanted to have you on because when we first started, first decided we went through this podcast, you know, we're thinking to ourselves, going over different topics. So we obviously had like four episodes of different topics before we even started interviewing people. So technically right now you'll be interview number three. We actually did interview number two on Tuesday. And our first interview was like a month ago. And um, you know what I'm saying? We liked, liked it, kind of enjoyed that process. But at the same time, it was, uh, I think from the very beginning, I was thinking, I probably want to interview Linda. I think that would be a good person. He did, say, yeah, he did say that. <laughs> That's you know what I'm saying? I, was, I was thinking, <laughs> yeah, no, but but not even about that. Honestly, it was it's like, I think over over time, you know, you you kind of get to know people by their stories. And like I've I've heard your story. I saw your TED. So I'm glad you're wearing the shirt because I saw your uh, your TEDx. Um, I'm gonna ask you a question and answer it a little bit later. But with the difference between a TEDx and a TED Talk, I'm guessing TED Talk is like put on by the organization, and TEDx is like a absolutely. Local thing. It, it, and that's exactly yeah, okay. it. That's exactly it. So okay. TEDx is really regionalized. Okay. Yeah, but the TED Talks are mm -hmm. the corporation. Okay. But they all give you credit. I want to start off, you know, I'm going to kind of leave the floor to you because I really want, we call, we call our, our group the tribe. I really want our tribe to, to really hear from you and kind of hear your story because it's, that's the part that's kind of most inspiring to me is because you know everyone has like their their journey that they go through mm. you know there are plenty of people who go through moments when they um they feel like it's come to an end i don't know what to do next and they just kind of stop you know shut yeah, down from there yeah but you did it you know what i'm saying the fact that you did it and how you've kind of progressed from that point and taken on a whole different role that's yeah. the most inspiring part to me and so i think like with a lot of the people that we're reaching out to um i'll just tell you is that the reason why we started this podcast is mainly because we recognize the two of us over time, especially this last year in the, during the pandemic, how much information is out there that we weren't given or, or told mm. or taught, mm. you know, and because of it, as we've gone through this past year and really get into investing, you know, he's into uh, real estate investing. I'm looking at mm -hmm. buying my first house, hopefully in the next six months. Yay. And, um, you know, just kind of making those decisions, really get into the stock market, researching the cryptocurrency and going in that direction, just looking at building our credit and kind of fixing things and whatnot. Like we've learned so much that, you know, I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, where would I be if I had learned this stuff or someone that taught me this when I was 12? That you part, know? That, those know? conversations, right. those conversations, you know? yeah. You no, know, so as, we, as he and I have been having those conversations over the past year, we've been talking about doing something together, but we decided, you know what? Why don't we do a podcast? There's so many people out here who have the exact same experience, who have not been taught, have uh, have not been taught. But it's, it's actually not. And I'm going to bring it up again because it's a note that I took from your TEDx that you said. And I, I want to bring it up. But it kind of speaks to the exact same thing where when you're not exposed to something, you're only going to really look at and experience and maybe even think about a dream about, as you said, what you're exposed to, what's in your local community or local experience. You know, Absolutely. so. That's the reason why we started this podcast is to basically kind of bring everyone who wants to be in it to teach the kids, to teach people in our age group, because we're both in our 40s, you know, thinking about what we're learning in our 40s, that we can hopefully help somebody fast track their own kids into something and have a better experience, you know? So, I, yeah, I can only wish that in my 40s, you know, that's 20 years ago, I can mm -hmm. only wish that in my 40s, somebody did this, that I could hear it, that mm -hmm. they got it, right? Mm -hmm. Because we are only the uh, accumulation of our environments and what we've experienced, our paradigm. Mm. That's as far as we can go. And so 
those things we haven't expo- haven't been exposed to are outside of our realm of thinking. Right. Like once you stretch your mind, it doesn't go back. It never goes back. Mm-hmm. And so the more you can stretch your mind, like the bigger your thought process is, mm-hmm. the bigger you show up, the bigger you understand your position in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I love traveling abroad. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I love traveling abroad because it expands my knowledge of the of having a global view. So I'm not pigeonholed in thinking like the people around me. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's it's things like that. It's experiences like that. And 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 even at my age, that's one of my goals is to help, you know, there's not many 61-year-olds out here doing what I do. Right. They're just not. And so a lot of people think I'm 40-ish, but my son is 47. Mm. So, <laughs> so that can't be. So, but, but just exposing people to experiences because that's what moves the needle for me is people drop by and just took me outside of my paradigm right. and helped me to expose home ownership, helped me to see what it felt like to be free to not be burdened down. And there's a mentality in the hood about struggle, Mm. but to help me see that there are people outside of the hood who aren't in that struggle mentality and and how they're actually coping and doing and making and creating and instead of consuming, producing. Like I wanted to be a part of that. Right. You know, I mean, and and, and what you said about uh, that mentality in the hood, like the, the struggle mentality, you know, it was interesting. It was, uh, I guess I just finished it. I did a, um, um, it was a group, um, a leadership or momentum is what it was called. It was like a leadership and kind of a motivation group that I was in. And in the midst of that group, that was one of the things that someone brought up that I never recognized about myself. But when they brought it up, I was like, wow, I can really understand from a personal perspective exactly what they mean by that. And what uh, this, this woman had said, she was talking about how throughout her whole life, she had been in survival mode and yeah. in being in survival mode, she didn't realize it, but she just kept going in it, and that was how she lived. And then all of a sudden, one day she's thinking like, I've gone to school, I've gotten my education, I have a good job, you know, I have savings. I'm, I'm not struggling anymore. I'm not having to, um, to survive anymore. And that's when she recognized the mindset, that loop that she was stuck it's flipped. in. Right. Absolutely. That, you know? that whole shift, because for me, it was the first time that I brought up that I actually went and picked out a car and bought it, and it wasn't due to my income taxes. Mm. <laughs> like historically, I always bought cars during income tax season, right? Mm-hmm. right? And that was a big thing. And and not just for me, but a lot of people, that's the only time we were able to get to upgrade or mm. to get what we needed or whatever. And so the first time I was actually able to walk on a car lot and it not be one of the hood car lots, you know, down a, a certain strip and actually buy the car I wanted mm-hmm. and walk away with, I did this. I mean, that was more, that was mind blowing for me because up right. to that point, like my dad bought most of my cars, but when I decided to make that investment myself, it was like, it's not even tax season and I can get a car, mm-hmm. you know? And so things like that, that people don't pay attention to, I pay attention to for me because I know once again, once somebody takes you, take you outside of where you've lived, what you've been, how you've been doing, then you understand that you have options. Right. And then when you are able to actually implement one of the options and it worked, you're like, oh, 
what up? What else can I do? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's buy a house. Exactly. <laughs> let's it's like, I, like to, I like to call that the, the level up mentality. You know what I'm saying? Once you level, like you said, once you once you expand your mind, you can't go back. No. You know I mean? So, and I, I I kind of apply that to almost everything in life. Like once I've had certain experiences, I can't go back to something that's not as exciting, not as open, not as kind of like, uh, you know, just just newly kind of uh, realizing different experiences and uh, just kind of pushing myself, pushing the needle a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And those, those things are how you see growth, but because we know that knowledge is just knowing what to do, mm-hmm. but the mm-hmm. wisdom comes in when you can apply it. Right. And, and, and that's what, you know, even the Bible, so I'm, I'm a Bible girl, but even the Bible says, seek wisdom. You know, seek understanding, but above that, seek wisdom. So seek mm-hmm. how to apply what you learn. So not just, you know, digesting and, and hoarding all this information into yourself. This podcast is how you're helping others who are looking to seek wisdom. Mm-hmm. Because you're giving exactly. them something that's going to grow them. Like the beginning of this podcast, at the end, they would have had a nugget that they can walk away with and apply. Exactly. 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 And that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do this right now because I still haven't done it. So I'm going to pause right now and I'm actually go back to the beginning. What's up, tribe? I'm Ezekiel Kendrick. And this is Duke of All Trades. And this is $2 Slap. And we want you to be a part of the discussion. Contact us by email at $2slap at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at $2.slap. Instagram at $2.slap. And Twitter at Two Slap. What's up, tribe? This is Ezekiel from Two Dollar Slap Podcast, and we are here back again, episode number eight. And like always, we're going to bring you someone else, some new motivation, inspiration, and uh, definitely someone who's inspirational to me because uh, we say we all have a story, and some stories are better than others, but this is definitely a good story. And uh, I'm hoping she's going to give us a lot of insight and give us some of that information throughout this podcast so you can uh, absorb it, take it, apply it to your life, and then see where it goes from there. But I just want to say right now we're going to introduce to the tribe Miss Linda Mary Bullard, and she is an inspirational business coach, personal development consultant, transformation speaker, and a published author. Now, just for transparency's sake, I'm going to tell you that this is my cousin. You know, So I couldn't be prouder of her just from a family perspective, but like I said, you know, some stories are meant to be told, and this is definitely one. Um, excuse me, I just want to give you the, the titles of her books. So the first one is The Well Ran Dry. And this one is actually, actually, Linda, I'm going to ask you right now just so you can tell me this. I'm going to mention your second book as well, but it's in the Library of Congress, correct? Absolutely. In the Library of Congress, meaning that everyone throughout the United States can pull it from their public library simply by asking for it by name and author. Exactly. See, I mean, I already, already, I'm not trying to big you up too much, but I mean, there's not too many people, not too many people who can say they have a book in the Library of Congress. So I just want to make sure everyone recognizes that. You also have your second book, and that's a big part of what I want to talk to you about today. You have uh, the building of your own business or BYOB, getting started 101. So that's yeah. what people don't know is that you're, like I said, you're a, you're a business coach, international business coach, and we want to kind of ask some questions and uh, see what kind of insight we can get on that so that people who are out there are part of our tribe who actually want to try to start their own business and get things going for themselves know what to start, why they might look at hiring a business coach to help them get there, and uh, we want to take it from there. And um, 
you know, I want to introduce Duke because I mean, I, I can't be here. I can't mean, my goodness, you forgot. I mean, he just going in. I'm like, all right, is he going to? All right, Duke of Oz race here. I mean, golly, I mean, he just went solo today. So, Linda, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. I mean, Ezekiel is just so excited that you're here. So, he just forgot that yeah. I'm here. So, I just laid back and sat back, let him do his thing. But I am here. I'm in the flesh. And, Linda, thank you for coming on. It's going to be a great show. And uh, that's it. So, Go ahead, Ezekiel. Go, go go back. I, I, but I am here. I'll put my two cents in as we go. I mean, I, I had a lot of at least a 30 more seconds for you to talk. So you, you want to fill that in or you want me to take it? Okay. I mean, you took you took everything else, but go ahead. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, Linda, it is your time to shine. Um, I mean, honestly, like I said, I want to open the floor up to you. And I'm just uh, curious. I've heard your story. I would love it if you would kind of... Uh, no, give our tribe a little bit of your story and then we can take it from there. Absolutely. So let's go back to 1968 and there was a pandemic. But the difference is... Oh, really? Yeah. The difference is this pandemic was not advertised. Hmm. My mom okay. died Christmas Day, 1968. Mm -hmm. She was one of over 100,000 Americans to have died due to the Hong Kong flu. She was 33 years old mm -hmm. at three kids, I mean, six kids, had six kids. I'm the youngest of her six. So I was nine. My dad walks in Christmas day and says, your mom's not coming back home. Mm -hmm. And in my nine year old mind, that meant maybe she went to the store and she'll be a minute. But then mm -hmm. later processing that whole experience, I learned that she was gone for good. You really cannot feel what it's like to be without a mom until you strip yourself of everything your mother ever taught you past age nine. Right. Because mm. there's subtle messages, there are quotes. And so my book is called The Well-Ran Dry Memoirs of a Motherless Child because one of her mm. constant sayings it was, you never miss your water until your well runs dry. Mm. And so that's where it came passing. from. Yeah. So I had that I had that title long before I even wrote the book. I knew exactly what I, what it was going to be. I knew exactly what was going to be in it, but I didn't know when or how or what it would be like after that. So I my so when she died, uh, my oldest brother was 14 or 15. His father because when my dad married her, they she already had four kids by her first husband. And so when she died, her first husband came and got his oldest son and took him to California. It would be 37 years before we would reconnect. But once we reconnected, I felt like I could let go of the pain, the space, the experiences that I had prior to then, including the fact that at the age of, four, of 13, I was pregnant with my first mm. child. I was three months mm. pregnant before I found out how you really get pregnant. Because my education was, if you kiss boys, or if you mess around with boys, you're gonna be <laughs> pregnant. So imagine mm. me at 12 years old getting my first kiss, thinking I'm pregnant. Wow. Like it seems not, like, right, mm. it, it seems simple, right? Yeah. But it's, yeah. just, it's just an example of, you can only know what you've been taught. Exactly. And so our mother was a, a nurturer. So she kept us in a, a cocoon of sorts. So everything was Pollyanna. Everything was nice and pleasant. I grew up in the civil rights era with no idea of what the civil rights era was about. Like I remember Dr. King getting assassinated. Mm -hmm. I cried more 
when Robert Kennedy got assassinated because I could relate to him. Mm. I could not relate to Martin. I knew not what he was. Interesting. Mike. Let me ask you this. Uh, so, so, so why, why is that dynamic like that? I guess because. And, and it goes to my father. My father was a very different guy in that he was the back thing. They had affirmative action. And so you had to hire at least one minority person to get government contracts. Well, my dad came from Kenner, Louisiana, through New Orleans up here, and he already knew how to drive big rigs. And mm -hmm. so that okay. one, for the majority of his life, he was that one person that got hired simply because he had the skill set. So his best okay. friend was white. He grew up, our community had more white people than black people. The only black mm -hmm. people we had were our cousins, were family. We didn't have right. like friends, all these many friends. I played with those men's kids. They played with us. We never saw that there was a difference in us. Mm -hmm. People, um, older people who I tell that story to say, well, he cheated you out of knowing your heritage. And mm -hmm. I have to think that he wanted me exposed to a greater world. Mm -hmm. So while I didn't understand who Dr. King was, I was living Dr. King's mission in his dream when he says they looked at me according to the character as opposed right. to me according to my skin. Right, so right. That, that left me unjaded and my experiences were very different. I have older siblings who actually got caught up, like my oldest brother won't come back to Chattanooga because he was mm -hmm. raced, literally raced by some white people out of a housing project and it traumatized mm. Interesting. I didn't have that experience. And so for that reason, I didn't have that outlook that was a part of, of, of my ingraining. Interesting. Yeah. So how, so how did that shape you overall when it came to the decisions you made in your life? You know, kind of going through school, going into the workforce and things of that nature. Right. So there were more people that didn't look like me that stopped by to help me. Mm. I've been blessed to have women, strong women, to, to come in and sit in the gap, you know, while my mom was gone, to teach me things about being a female and being a woman. But they were of all colors. So mm -hmm. it wasn't that one treated me worse or better than the other. It's just people came by to help. And I didn't really immediately recognize that they were not like me or like me. And so that, that gave me a bigger worldview. Right. And it... So you never felt the effects of racism at all growing up? No, not, no, not that. So, so what? The first time I actually was introduced to racism, I was so naive. Again, my mom kept us in this in this bubble that um, mm -hmm. a, a a black girl asked me to go tell the teacher that a white guy called me the N word. Mm. Me being naive, I thought that he called me a, a curse word name, right? So I go tell the teacher, mm -hmm. this guy did this, da, da, da. He gets ran out of town. Like his family and him, like they had oh, to really? go. Absolutely. Wow. And this was in a wow. town that was predominantly white. Interesting. They, exactly. And so <laughs> still me not, me not recognizing the power of, of what that was. Mm -hmm. Later, years later, I was walking from Eastside Swimming Pool home and you know how when we go swimming and we don't shower and lotion up, we get this ash. I right. walked in the grocery store mm -hmm. and this man 
I, somehow I got separated from my friends that I went in with. And this man is standing over me and he's like, you are inward and you're ashy and you're mangy. And you're, you know, he's calling me all these names. And I was shaking, you know. So I go home and I. How, how old were you? I was about 11 or 12. Okay. And I go home and I tell my dad about the experience because the, the storekeeper comes and says, leave a little girl alone. And he tells us to get out of the store. And we walk on. And I'm, I'm shaking because I didn't know what that was. But I knew it didn't mm-hmm. feel right. So I go home and I tell my dad about it. And my dad is like, yes, that's racism. That's how they speak about us. You know, I had never experienced that. Mm-hmm. That was my first, okay, this is what racism looks like. Then I start wanting to know more about, okay, what is racism and why these people feel this way about me? And so then I learned about the lessons, the black and white fountains, the this and that. And so it all made sense. And so then I started learning about Dr. King and that struggle again. That was my that was not my living experience mm-hmm. until that point. And so that that whole incident there kind of jolted me to, OK, this is what life is. Right. What year was it when, um, when JFK got assassinated? Was and, and for the longest, I was I was two years old i remember it but for the longest time i thought it was abraham lincoln <laughs> I was like i was born when abraham lincoln got killed i remember it. but no <laughs> but it was actually it was actually jeff kennedy in 62. Mm, okay. Mm, okay i mean it's, it's interesting like hearing about that experience and when you first kind of encountered um uh, racism because you know i can say to this day i don't i don't know that it was my mom's intention but just based on how i was raised and kind of where we moved around and whatnot you know, typically where I lived and where I grew up, there it was just predominantly either multicultural, yeah. or I couldn't really tell you. Or I couldn't really tell you who lived in the neighborhood because you never saw them. It's like you go to work, you go to school, but by the time you come home, everyone's already in the house already. But I've never really had any any bad experiences, you know, for for you know, in, in, in a positive sense, you know. But you know, I've had enough experiences. I mean, it's kind of difficult being a you know over six foot tall. You know, right. black man to not have at least one experience. I mean, of course, I've had a few. You know, but it's interesting. Like your experiences, I wasn't in a bubble necessarily, but also necessarily wasn't necessarily exposed to a lot of the uh, the negativity that kind of came from it as well. Absolutely. You know? and, and here's the thing. And, and I need to correct that date. It was 1963 of his assassination in November, and I was two because mm-hmm. I turned three. The, the uh, yeah, the, the next mm-hmm. month. But um, your mom, your grandmother, and my mother mm-hmm. were best friends. But they were also cousins because mm-hmm. your grandmother was married to my mom's first cousin. Mm-hmm. Their living and their mindset was of such that they embraced the world holistically. And so it, it would only seem right that that be your experience because right. that's the same experience I gave my son. Like mm-hmm. I, I put my son out of Howard, which is predominantly black, and put mm-hmm. him in Hickson because I wanted him to have a cultural experience that was outside of everybody in the school think alike, act alike, look alike. And so mm-hmm. I wanted him to see the world as the world really was and be able to engage with people other than people of his color. So I, I get that because it, it actually expands critical thinking. They don't teach critical thinking in the hood. Like in, criti- in, in the hood, you're a victim. You know, everybody's oppressing you and you're a victim and you have to be two times better. You have to be more. You have, to, I mean, and, and I, I get it. I get that our parents taught us that to, to keep us safe because right. a lot was going on. In all mm-hmm. honesty, a lot was going on. But at the same time, I think it made us hypersensitive mm-hmm. to a lot of things that we should have just been able to shrug off and keep going. 
Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. I can see that. And, you know, it's interesting, as you say that, I agree with you because I've thought the exact same thing, you know, and depending on who you talk to, they could take that statement, run with it and be like, you just don't understand, you know. And again, there's certain scenarios. Everyone has their own experience. You know what I mean? So there are scenarios I'm not going to be able to understand. But I do also know that there are things that happen and no one cares. Ultimately, you have to figure it out and be able to figure out how to move past it. So that's kind of like my my perspective in my life. It's no matter what happens to me, it's up to me to figure out how to manage it and then move beyond it and not let something like that hold me back. And I think that the problem is a lot of us get stuck there. Mm-hmm. Like we get stuck behind that incident or behind like the incident in the store with the guy. A right. lot of people would have walked away from that hating white people. Right. But he exactly. was one man mm-hmm. in one period of time acting ignorant. Right. He wasn't every white person in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so I I chose to have experiences with people of all colors, of all ethnicities. I love traveling and learning new cultures and learning how people get to where they are. Like having a, a, a global world view has been the best thing for me and my kids. I insisted that all my kids had a global experience. Mm-hmm. Let me take it. Let, let- let me take a step back real quick. So I know you said your um, the experience that you had in a grocery store with the white individual. If that had been your, that had been the first person that you encountered that was white and you had that experience, would you still have had that same mindset towards white people? Or is it the fact that before that even happened, every experience that you had with a white person, they treated you as an equal. It wasn't any kind of racism whatsoever. Right. Do you think that had anything I, to do I think with- it did because... So when my mom died, my dad took us out of town to live with her cousins. And so because mm-hmm. of that, it was a town predominantly white. And I, mm-hmm. and I had friends of all colors. And so my experiences from that was they were not, the white people I encountered were not evil to me. They were not mean to me. They were just as loving and caring as everybody else. And I don't know if that was because, oh, that's that little girl who lost her mom, or if that's mm-hmm. just them being who they were. But in my intake on it was that people were just treating me like people up until I met them. People always Mm -hmm. treated me like people. Right. So I didn't have that. Um, if that had been my only experience with somebody of a different color, that would mean that erased everything else about me prior to then my dad's Mm -hmm. experience, the Mm -hmm. people I met through him, you know, um, I don't know how it would have felt. I, I really don't because everything that I had, that had happened to me up until that point prepared me to have a shock that somebody would treat me like that. Right. I didn't equate right. it to him being a different color. I equated mm-hmm. it to him being a mean man. Right. You know, and I, and I feel like, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, dude. Yeah, I was going to say something because um, I, I know I have a conversation with my father and the things that he tells me growing up, because we are around the same age, he's a little bit older than you. But uh, growing up in Tennessee, um, his his thought process is a little bit different from yours because he has examples of where he, he was affected mm-hmm. by racism. And I know me and him have conversations where I'm like, all right, I understand what you're saying, Dad, but that wasn't my, that, that's not what I grew up in. Like my, the the contact and the, in the uh, and, and me being around white people, I never got treated as if I, if, if as if I wasn't mm-hmm. an equal, you know, I never got like that. So sometimes the conversation that we had, we got, we go a little bit back and forth, but at the same time, I understand that 
what he went through growing up in the 50s and the 60s and things like that is a lot different from me growing up in the mm-hmm. 80s and the 90s. So I do understand that. So just I, I still get taken aback from you hearing that, just hearing hearing that from somebody who's black growing up in that time from a different from hearing that from a different perspective. Um, it's, it's 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 enlightening to me because my mindset was I thought that every black person that grew up in that time in Tennessee had the same mindset that he did. And obviously you don't. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and that's the thing. So I'm an outlier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm not like most people my age in, in, in a lot of perspectives. I mean, I'm just not. But the thing about it is I think because my, my parents chose to expose me to a different thinking, it helped to seek mm-hmm. critical thinking. You know, I mm-hmm. insisted that my boys yeah. went to, my younger boys went to arts and science, uh, which is Gaia mm-hmm. philosophy where it's taught. And they actually have a class called seminar where they get to discuss both sides of any topic. And so it helped mm-hmm. them to critically think about anything. They, they can debate anything. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, even me sometimes, mm-hmm. and that gets on my nerves. But, <laughs> but, but, but the thing, I thought, I thought that's the one trait that is not taught in the hood is how to critically think and not group think because we are victims of group think a lot of times you know mm-hmm. we be mad at people because somebody isn't mad at that person not understanding why are they mad because people only tell you the part they want you to listen to right. they don't like tell it. you all the sides of a story like yeah i i was a shyster for six years and they caught me wrong and now you know they went off on me and and now you know i'm i'm dirty they'll say oh yeah that happened and, you know they're white Mm-hmm. And then, and then yeah. that's supposed to be acceptable. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, I get it. I know if I need. No, I don't accept that. I always wait when I hear these media right. stories. Mm-hmm. I always wait to hear the final analysis because mm-hmm. you can easily get caught up in emotion. And a lot of times, a lot of us are stuck behind our emotions instead of. No, it's true. Yeah, very true. Facts. And so I look at, okay, how did they get to that point? Like, I always want to know what the backstory is. How did they get to there? What happened first? Because a lot of times when you take the time to analyze the backstory, you see how it progressed at the person's demise because the person initiated something that could have went a whole different way. Mm-hmm. Again, right. understanding when to just shrug it off and keep going. Yeah, and I say that all the time. You know, something as simple as, you know, I remember this is years and years ago, but I remember just driving down the street, someone cut me off and I probably cursed them and this, this, that, and the other. I'm not even a road rager. You know, it's not a problem. You did. <laughs> but, you know, but I'm not, I'm not even a road rager. So like I did that and I think I turned, I made like a left turn and had to stop at the red light. And by the time I made that turn into red light, we're talking about maybe 15 seconds, 20 seconds going by. And I get to the red light, I'm sitting there and I'm in a completely different mindset. I'm cool. I'm chilled out already. I'm thinking to myself like, why was I so upset? Like, I don't even remember. I had to, I had to remember why I was so upset in that moment. And it was because of this, you know, certain person cutting me off. And I realized at that moment, it's like how quickly we can jump to conclusions or our emotions can kind of take off with this. And if we just take like a split second to just recognize what's going on, realize it's really not even that serious. I mean, most of the things that happen negative. They're really, really not, not that serious. serious. And the thing yeah. about it is you have to be able to rise above the incident. Like what I've told my boys is regardless of what's happening, make it back home to me. Right. I'll fix it. <laughs> Make it back home to me. Do what you got to mm-hmm. do. You know, I, I taught my boys to speak three languages. So they had the language with their boys. They had the language with me, which I don't, they don't talk to me in any kind of way, even now. And then they mm-hmm. had the language with authorities. Like I taught mm-hmm. them to speak fluently those three languages. 
because I didn't right. want them get beat up by the boys. You know, I, I didn't, we lived in the hood. I didn't want them to get ganged and, and, and beat up every day. I mm-hmm. understood they have to respect me. I told them whether they choose to love me is up to them, but they have to mm-hmm. respect me because I'm their mother. Right. I taught them to recognize authority and it's always yes, sir, no, sir. And the thing about it is a lot of times like, well, I don't need to say yes, yeah, that's master talk or, or, or whatever people say now. You know, we don't mm-hmm. no, we don't do that, but it's respect because I've mm-hmm. learned in my life that you get further with respect than you do with disrespect. And, and when you're respectful, you're in control. When you're disrespectful, you're actually putting that other person in control. Mm-hmm. So just teaching them how to survive and get back home. And then right. you know, one of my sons was pulled out the car and, and at gunpoint and laid in the middle of the street. They thought it was uh, um, somebody had robbed an auto zone. They thought it was him. And I make it back home to me is what he heard in his head. Make it back home to me. Mm-hmm. Because if you make it back home to me, we'll get it. We'll make it right. I am right. an advocate for my boys. And they're grown men now, but I'm mm-hmm. still an advocate yeah. for my kids. As you should, as you right. should be. That's good. <laughs> All right, so I want to kind of like change change direction a little bit, and because I want to go back to so I was talking before before we started actually uh, um, our, the actual episode, and I kind of introduced you, and I was saying all of the things that you've accomplished and achieved, and one of them that I didn't say was that you actually have uh, done a TEDx TED talk. You know what I mean? So I want to kind of bring that up and talk about it because there's one quote that I actually wrote down because it was. Um, Kind of some of the, some of the things that you said right now in terms of your exposure, you know, mm-hmm. women in your life taking on, mm-hmm. you know, um, um, a mentor type role, Absolutely. you know, with you and helping you out, and the fact that they were women of different colors. So I'm curious, I can't remember her name, but there were two women in particular you you, you mentioned, one from your church and one was a teacher, and so you can tell me which one this quote came from, but it was um, the quote is from you actually, but it was your paraphrasing what you learned from this this this, this woman. Um, and so just so everyone knows, the TEDx is called The Power of Choice, all right? And the quote was, when no one comes around to take an inner city kid outside of the neighborhood, they tend to grow up to dream about what they see and who they see, you know? Exactly. And like that, that, that actually kind of, it hit me because again, I think I was telling you that's that thinking or that mindset is exactly why we're doing this podcast. It's if everyone is only exposed to what they're exposed to growing up, a lot of times you're exposed to, or excuse me, you're taught things from your parents, but your parents are only teaching you what they were exposed to. Exactly. You know? exactly. So there's always, it's like a generational limitation on knowledge and information, you know? So we want to get away from that and move on. So tell me about that person who helped you and uh, what that experience is like. And so I, I, ironically, it was neither of those. It was actually, huh. it was actually a Caucasian lady and I forget her name today, but she took me to camp. She took mm-hmm. me to um, a camp that was a week long, and there were people of all colors, and, and the young people, we came from the, the hood, we came from the Wesley Center, and every summer they would take us to camp. But at camp, you learn how to do campfire songs, you learn how to uh, roast hot dogs and make s'mores and all these fun games, and it's a different perspective, and life was light. And then I, I, I still think, and I don't remember her, and I want to say it's Gina, but I'm not certain. But I remember her coming and cramming all us up in her car. She couldn't have been no more than 25. <laughs> but she came and got all of us, crammed us up in her car, and took us to camp. And that experience there has, has come back to me in more ways than once since that exposure. Like, who in our neighborhood gets to go to camp? Like even today, how many, you know, they said blacks don't count, <laughs> you know, but back then 
that was a paradigm shift back then you know learning that those women that you talked about that they owned their homes and didn't rent hmm. and that they actually had heat in the summer and air conditioning in the winter i mean heat in the air conditioning in, in the summer and heat in the winter was hmm. very different about to say it's not like he's it's not like the yeah, hood yeah, at yeah. first. The right. hood was where I was. He's, he's so that's heat heat summer in there. <laughs> exactly. That's not like the hood. My father was a proud man. My father mm-hmm. would not I didn't know about food stamps until I was like sixteen. Mm-hmm. My girl gave me a food stamp. She said, Girl, that's money. I'm throwing it away because I'm like, that look like play money to me. But then it yeah. was dollars, right? In these books. Mm-hmm. And she gave me a book of stamps. Duh. Ooh, yeah, she gave me the book of stamps, and I'm like, oh, wow. You mean we could be living like this? Because I've had cold nights, you know, mm-hmm. and we lived in not the best houses. And so she was like, well, yeah, you just turn a, you know, turn a knob and the heat comes on. You know, you put an air conditioner in the window, and the whole house is cool. Like, that was a whole different experience to me. <laughs> I'm like, the people in the hood, I got it. What is my daddy doing wrong? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he was proud. And he mm-hmm. was like, and when I went home, the first experience I went home and I said, Dad, do you know people living like this? And he's like, baby, that's charity. We don't need that. Mm. Like, you don't need that. Mm. Me? <laughs> She's like, I need that. I In need my that life. now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he was that guy. I mean, he did not want anything that he didn't work for. And I thank God for him because he gave me my work ethic. Like, he mm. taught me, if you don't work for it, you don't get it. And so that has been carried on through generation to generation. Like my, my son that I had at 14 is a battalion chief at the fire department. Mm. He has firehouses reporting to him. You know, he got there because the same man that raised me also raised him. It's deep. And if you don't get it, you know, if you don't work for it, you don't get it. So mm-hmm. waiting on a check has never felt right to me. Mm-hmm. I'm a full-time entrepreneur right now. And I tell you what, the struggle, <laughs> the struggle is a real struggle because for over 50 years, I was on somebody else's clock. Mm. But the last time I got laid off, I decided, okay, enough of this foolishness. I cannot build if I'm forever worrying about getting laid off. So then I put the, the pen back in my hand and decided to go full-time entrepreneurship. So, so before you became an entrepreneur, what were you doing? So I worked 26 years at an insurance company. And then when they implemented mm-hmm. Obamacare, I was laid off after 26 years. Mm-hmm. And I licked my wounds, wrote the book, put it in the Library of Congress, and then decided, okay, what do you need to do now? Because you need to do something. And so I opened up LSMD Business Solutions, my business, to supplement my income because it, tw- it took me 26 years to get to those six figures. And I figured, okay, they don't know me. They're not going to bring me in at six figures. So I, I have to come up and supplement my income. So I built the business part time to supplement my income. I got hired at a prominent hospital in the law department, beat out an attorney, it turns out, but learned worked there as a contract process uh, coordinator for three years and then worked as a business data analyst running big data reports for the hospital for three more years and then got laid off again and decided, okay, enough. I'm glad you said, I'm glad you said that because one thing that, well, another thing why we started this podcast as well, because we want people to change their mindset, um, be to invest, create, um, different ways of income. Because like you said, you work 26 years at a company and just like that, they'll lay you out just like that. So you're never in control of your finances or even your life, because a lot of people live their life around their, around their, um, around their job. 
So yeah. the fact that you um, talk about how you were able to create streams of income after you got laid off, I want people to have that mindset now. Like, even though you might be going to a nine to five now, though at any given time, if things go um, south, that you can get laid off. So I always try to, yeah, I always try to have that mind of, um, to invest and um, try to create ways to uh, create different different types of income. So I just want to just, just yeah. I'm, glad, it, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that. Absolutely. Because what happened is I decided not to waste those 26 years. So the mm -hmm. things that I had learned on those people's job, I actually reprocessed and repurposed. And it was my first offering to do resumes and business plans for other people. I, I was wanting to do a Team Mom Foundation because Team Moms are always at my heart because I was one. But I sat in a class at the Small Business Administration, and when they, every time they would mention business plans, people's eyes would roll. Like, oh, God, what is that? You know, mm -hmm. and so I was like, hmm, they don't like it. I do like it. Let's do that. <laughs> because you, we don't know what attributes that we have. Excuse me. We don't know what attributes we have that can be marketable. Like, people mm -hmm. will pay money to get a good business plan that will get them money. And I was writing, I was answering RFPs, and RFQs and sitting in meetings and learning the process of business and going to school, got two of my degrees while working with them. And then was in my master's degree. My master's degree is 2017. So I went back and got my master's also business administration. And I'm like, why not monetize these skill sets that I have to support me? Because I've been in boot camp with these people and again, your audience, if their only income is from somebody else's job, your bargaining tool is zero because mm, you're, one, right. you're one signature away from having a very different lifestyle. You said it. You said yeah, it right there. Exactly. You said it right there. <laughs> you know, so even if you're not doing it, I did it part time up until 2019. Even if you're not doing it all in. Like you need to be trying to think about what can I, if, if my job lets me walk in tomorrow and they say, we no longer need your services, what does that look like for me? Right. It behooves all of us to start thinking about generational wealth and how we can pass on legacies. My business is a legacy. And here's the thing. I, don't, I have five granddaughters and one grandson. None of them want to do what I do. None of them have shown any interest. Hmm. However, I have young people all over the United States, in Africa, in Barbados, and in Kenya that look at what I do and say, I want to be just like you. So mm -hmm. it's not about me growing in my family. It's about me growing a legacy that's worldwide. Mm -hmm. Like if all of us are to touch 10,000, then my, my, my following down is like 25,000 already. And it's not about number of likes and shares and internet popularity, right? It's about what mm -hmm. are you being paid to do? What skill sets do you already have that you can monetize in a way that it supports you? I built a house downtown. Mm -hmm. I asked God mm -hmm. for one thing when I left that job. May I please keep my house that you gave me? Today, I'm sitting in one of my guest rooms. I'm still here. Mm -hmm. There you go. So it can happen. You know, you know we stay there because I don't have insurance or I don't have benefits or whatever. If they lay you off, guess what you won't have? Insurance <laughs> and benefits. <laughs> or a check. That's what I have. <laughs> <laughs> or a check, exactly. You know. You know, I mean, so that transition from from twenty six years working in the same industry for this was it for the yeah. same company? Yeah, as well? I, I worked in yeah, thirteen different positions in that company. Like going, creating a I mean, career ladder, going up every time. 
Right. So that transition from being laid off to making the decision to go back to school to start your business and kind of go from there. What was the time frame in that? Was it immediate? Did you have like to you know lick your wounds for a while? For so what? I I used to say I wouldn't go get my master's because I didn't like the the great the GRE test. It's math. I hate math. And I said, I'm not doing it. I don't want to take the test to get in. Well, they waived it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, oh, dog. No excuses now. <laughs> I got to exactly. jump on you. Because I so read So God let you keep your house and he waived the GRE for you. Yeah. He's awesome. <laughs> I want to stay with you. What's up, tribe? I'm Ezekiel Kendrick. And this is Duke of All Trades. And this is $2 Slap. And we want you to be a part of the discussion. Contact us by email at $2slap at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at $2.slap. Instagram at $2.slap. And Twitter at 2slap.